Oh my goodness. Oh guys, I'm so excited for you to listen to this conversation. I have just listened back to it. I've listened to it twice because this guest has the most amazing and like captivating way of sharing her knowledge and her passion and her wisdom with the world. I could have spoken to this guest for hours. So I want to introduce to you Nikita Thigpen, who is the number one balance and relationship expert and advisor for power couples in the world. And she helps ambitious entrepreneurs and women to reclaim their joy and their passion and their boundaries so that they so that they can live the most self-actualized, fulfilling, joyful life. She's also So the author of the book called Selfish, which I highly recommend you read, she is a trauma therapist and a sexologist. There is nothing that Nikita can't speak about. And so in this chat, we did, we talked about so many things and we started with why she decided to call her book Selfish and how she's seen that when women start to put themselves first, life can flourish for themselves and everybody around them. We talk about the importance of knowing your goals and putting boundaries in place to support them. We switch it up and talk about really juicy things like sexual intimacy. We talk about orgasms and how that can be really great for creativity, for thriving in so many different ways. We talk about some of the shame and different issues that come up with couples who are really busy, really ambitious, and how intimacy and sex can take a back seat and how to spice it back up again. We talk about so many things, and I absolutely adore this human. I want to speak to her again and again and again because her brain is just juicy magnificence. So before I dive into this, I just wanted to also let you know really quickly that the doors today are open to the amazing mindset course that myself and Steph Gorton have created for the those in business who know that it is the mindset that is keeping them stuck. So things like actually a lot of the things that we talk about in this episode, such as boundaries and being your highest self and having the clarity to know what it is you're going for and knowing what it's all for, how it's impacting your relationships, what you need to do and who you need to be to have the business that supports the life you want, that helps you to feel free and satisfied and successful in whatever metric that means to you. All of that is covered inside of Master Your Biz Mindset, which is honestly the thing that you probably need if you're just not where you want to be and you know you've got all the strategies, you know what to do, but there's something that's just not working. And for some reason, you're just not where you want to be or you're not quite satisfied, you're not quite fulfilled and you know that there's so much more for you. That is absolutely the course for you. It's bloody juicy. I actually cried in making some of the visualizations because they're just so powerful and poignant and potent. So I'm so excited to hear about how it goes for those who are getting into it and doing the mindset work to support the business strategy and success that you bloody deserve. So anyway, the doors are open. All of the links are in the show notes. But for now, please get cozy, have a cuppa, get yourself really into whatever vibe you need to be in to absorb the absolute magic of Nikita Thigpen. Welcome to another episode, guys. I am honestly, I've been walking around all morning for two hours, listening and filling my ears with this guest's amazing wisdom. So Nikita, thank you so much for being here. I'm really genuinely excited for your brain. (laughs) Thank you so much. I am super honored and I already know we're going to have a fantastic conversation. Oh, there's going to be so much juiciness. I, I was researching obviously about you recently and I thought, 
I've met my match. You are a nerd. And I love that about you. Yes. So much amazing stuff to share. So, so for anybody out there listening who has never come across your stuff, which I highly encourage guys go and follow Nikita, who are you and what do you do? How do you serve this world? Yeah. So I'm a balance and relationship advisor, the number one balance and relationship advisor in the world. I serve power couples, married women entrepreneurs, and a few boat leaders. Really what they come to me for is they're ready to recalibrate and own their right to be intentionally selfish. Typically it's because they are taking good self relationships, good couple relationships, and taking them into bliss. They know that there's a few gaps They're not knocking on the door of divorce. They're not hating themselves or self-deprecating. They're just ready to self-actualize and optimize where they are for where they want to be. Oh, that is so amazing. I love it so much. And there's so much already that I want to ask you. So let's start with self because you wrote Mm -hmm. a book, which congratulations, by the way, I am like in honor of people, like just so much, so much respect for people who have done that. So you wrote a book called Selfish and a big Mm -hmm. part of what you do and a big part of your message is reclaiming or not, not necessarily reclaiming, but changing or reframing that word to mean something Mm -hmm. really positive. So would you mind speaking about what's your message around women being, quote, selfish? Yeah. And you actually had it dead on. I had to redefine the word because it's anchored in such negativity, egotism, you know, all of the things that don't feel good for any human to be called, let alone a woman specifically. But the nerd in me did a little research When the word downloaded to me in my spirit as the title, I just saw the title of my book being selfish. And I had a visceral reaction like, I'm not selfish. I'm the least selfish person I know in the world. But it came to me and I'm a super spiritual person. I'm a Christian. I'm a minister, all the things. And I was like, I got to go do a little research. And I found that the word was put in our lexicon in the mid-ish 1600s by a Pentecostal bishop who put the word in our lexicon as a frame of, it was really meant for women who were not going to stay in their place. Mm. The parishioners were coming to the bishop because in the 1600s, you had to ask for permission to do anything. Mm. And they really wanted the right to say no to their husbands for having sex when they didn't want to. And if you can remember back to the 1600s for all of you history buffs out there, you didn't have a choice. Women were chattel. You were property. So the bishop in turn, in in their own scripted way, basically said, if you're not pushing a baby out of your vagina or your menses is on, you have no right to tell your husband no, because you are property. If you do, you are being selfish. Now that word gets in our lexicon. Here we are 500 plus years later, holding each other down because of it and stripping ourselves of our power because we thought that this is something that we had to hold up as a standard, like be selfless, give, don't say no, boundaries are bad. You know, all the things that kind of get consciously and unconsciously interpreted from that. And obviously I'm not rocking with that on any level. And I'm sure you aren't, and neither Mm -hmm. is any man or woman that's listening to this podcast right now. So I said, let me redefine it. And I did so that we could reclaim our power. So I redefined the word as an intimate personal gift to create your joy. When you are intentionally selfish, you give yourself the spaciousness you need to do your work, to Mm. get to the place where you can personally develop and evolve and transform. So my reframe of it is back up. Give yourself some space. Stop breastfeeding the world. Take a moment 
nurture yourself ultimately so that when you're filled up, fueled up, whatever you want to call it, you can actually pour from your overflow. And when you give, it's not out of resentment or regret or being pissed off that you had to do one more thing. You actually get to create these expansive boundaries that allow you to create your joy your way. Wow. There is so much magic in what you just said. And I think you're so right because it's got so many negative connotations, that word selfish. Women tend to give and give and give and overexert themselves to everybody's needs except for their Mm -hmm. own. How does that play out like in a lot of your clients and the people you see? They're very ambitious women and they're often Mm -hmm. overexerting themselves. So how does that play out for your clients and what are some of the ways that they can start to insert those really healthy boundaries so that they can self-actualize from a place of overflow? So to bring them in a little bit and give them the space that they need, I ask them really jarring, provocative questions like, all right, Brianna, it's 9, 12 p.m. You got three hours to live. What are you letting go? What are you doing? What are you doing different? That's it. Claps. You you don't know what it's from. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how. You got three hours. What's coming off your calendar? What are you saying no to? What are you willing to do for yourself if you only have this small amount of time? Well, guess what? That fourth divorce party that you're going to with your friend that you don't even really get along with, but you've been friends, quote unquote, (laughs) since college, that comes off the list, right? Send that chick a gift. Tell her congratulations (laughs) and keep it moving versus flying out three hours, booking a hotel, spending three days, like doing all the things just so you can feel like you have work-life balance when you don't even really want to be in most of these spaces because no is non-existent for an ambitious woman. It's always this taboo thing that you're not supposed to do because you're supposed to be superwoman and do it all. I'm like, listen, there's commercials in all the TV shows for a reason, because they all need breaks. That's what the commercials are for. You don't see Wonder Woman and Superwoman and all the people taking a break, but they really do in real life. (laughs) So let's take a break and give ourselves permission to pause. But you have to want to pause for a reason. And there has to be something that feels worthy to you. So how about you be the thing that's worthy? Oh, I love that really aggressive reframe. And it's so true. I say this to clients all the time. If you had one day left to live, I always Mm -hmm. say, what would you do? What are the things that would light you up? But that's such a good way of thinking what would Mm -hmm. need to go. And Mm -hmm. a lot of clients I find they'll say things along the lines of, well, probably this and probably this, and these people don't make me actually feel that good. Or this Mm -hmm. thing doesn't make me feel lit up. This thing drains my energy. However, they have Mm -hmm. identified by this point that there's a little bit of people pleasing that happens. And so Mm -hmm. to insert that without feeling like a bitch or without feeling like you're going to miss out on something, without feeling like you're a bad person, without feeling Mm -hmm. guilty is really difficult. So Mm -hmm. what do you say in that situation where you've identified that I might be I might be in this situation people pleasing a little bit and Mm -hmm. I need to draw a loving boundary? How do you go about that? Yeah, the the formula, I would say, it's kind of like a math, a worded mathematical formula that I created for balance. For me, balance is your truth, admitting the truth of what you really want in this world, in this chapter of your life, if we can narrow it down more specifically, over the boundaries that you're willing to create so you can achieve that truth as reality. So if you have a client that's saying, you know what, I I feel like I'm 
I'm doing really good in my business and in my career and I make multi six figures, but I really feel like I can be a mogul of a seven or eight figure empire. That's, that's really what I want. That's my truth. So we need to put some boundaries in place so you can achieve that. I love that so much. And it's something that I sort of do as well is like, first, let's look at your dream. Let's look at your vision. Let's get so lit up about your life and then put the boundaries to align with that. Because otherwise you're just making these boundaries that you think you should have, but what for? And so for those people who, you know, they maybe have been in this cycle of people pleasing and doing everything for everybody else and giving into societal Mm -hmm. expectations and I should be doing this and my kids need this or my husband needs this and I should be doing this degree. La, 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 la. Yeah. What I find sometimes happen is women wake up and that's usually when they come to me and they're like, I don't know who I am. I actually don't Mm -hmm. know what lights me up. I don't know who I am. So What do you say in that situation? How can we start to reignite that flame and that internal truth that you speak about for the women who are like, I want to know who I am again? Yeah. For that, it's it's a little bit of a layered question, as I'm sure you know from the work that you're doing as well, because I don't want to skip over and say, well, let's just start a new canvas. Let's paint a new picture and go for broke because that feels disingenuous to mm. whatever the pain and the hurt is. Yes. So I get to use my clinical skills here. Like I'm, mm. my background is a licensed clinical social worker, a trauma specialist and a sexologist before I became a balance and relationship advisor. So I get to go into my own color paint can of paint, if you will, and pull out some colors to help them see the possibilities. And so we look at what are some of the rooted scripts that are going on, which is a lot of what I talk about in Selfish, which isn't a self-help book. It's my survivor story, my personal transformation story. And I talk about those early scripts that if you would have just looked at the scripts and not finished the book, you would think, oh my God, she she died. She committed suicide. She was a, a drug dealer. She had to be all these things because based on these scripts that she mm. grew up with, there's no way this woman became anything. Mm. And it was unfortunate and sad. But I also am sharing in the book and in the story, if you continue, you see the scripts that were laid that weren't of my own for, you know, fruition. They're put there between the time you're conceived, literally that third trimester of your being in your mother's womb up until somewhere between seven and nine years old. The studies are a little varied yeah. on that. Those are when your scripts are formed by other people. by sights and sounds, your environment, and then everything else is an imprint to confirm or disconfirm that script as a reality. At some point when you become aware, why do I think this way? Why why do I have this opinion? I don't know why we think that all green people are bad. You know, like where did that come from? When you start to question your own questions and kind of self-coach yourself, you give yourself that opportunity to shift your perspective that we were talking about earlier Mm. and open yourself up to the possibility that things can be different, that it doesn't have to be in the context of whatever cult you grew up in. And most of all of our, all of us grew up in a cult. Our house is a cult compared to, right? The community, the neighborhood, the block, so on and so forth, let alone the world. But once you realize, and not saying everything in the cult was bad, you might've learned some good hygiene routines or whatever. But when you realize, wait, this isn't normal. 
for everybody. Not everybody thinks about that. There's other ways to think. Then you can see the possibilities of other colors you didn't even know existed in the spectrum. So sometimes we do have to go deep with the clients, Mm. as I'm sure you do as well, Mm. and say, wait a minute. Do you know that there's multiple colors in this spectrum? Or are you only using the three colors that you grew up with and you're tired of trying to figure out new ways to to shape that world for you? I was only told that I was a a good science and math person and that was what I had to do. But I really want to create shoes and design fashion. But my family said that fashion was horrible and you'll never make money in that. And that's a starving artist. But that's really what I want to do. But I became a scientist and a mathematician. And now, you know, yeah, people pat me on the back for being a rocket scientist, but I'm actually unhappy with all the money and all the accolades and all the things that I've accomplished because I did it because someone told me I had to and it Mm -hmm. was expected of me. So I helped them see that there's other colors that were trapped underneath of there, stuck way under the box. They weren't given access to. But now that they have it, what's your choice? Are you choosing to still see the three colors? Or are you choosing to see the possibilities of what else you can create now that you have access to others? And that's where the real work begin, begins for all of them. Oh my goodness, Nikita. While you're speaking, I am like, I love your brain. I love the way you tell a story. I love this conversation so much. And I think it's so true. And we can't see what we we can't see our blind spots. And so mm-hmm. Do you have any practical or actionable steps that you would give to ladies or to women or to anybody listening who is like, okay, I'm willing to see that there might be other possibilities for me. I'm willing to paint with all the colors that are available Mm -hmm. and to recreate this new vision for myself. Where would you start? Yeah. So it depends on the person, but let's just say that they are a, and I say this with love, a typical ambitious, I know there's no such thing as typical, but go with me. A typical ambitious woman that has a full productive schedule where she has almost no breaks in between her calendar. Mm. She schedules everything from vacations to intimacy. And although that's not necessarily bad to make sure things get done, she's so rigid that Mm. she can't really move outside of the lines of her calendar with the exception of a full-fledged emergency, right? Yeah. That's the typical ambitious Mm. woman that I'm talking about. I know none of you that are listening to this (laughs) fall into that category, but that's who we're talking about right now. So that woman, the first thing I do is ask her, how many times do you have to pee? I'm dead serious. How many times do you have to pee in a day? What? What do you mean? How many times do you have to empty your bladder? I don't know. I mean, when I think about it, I have to go all the time, but I probably just go when I really, really need to, like three times a day. Your bladder fills up every 45 to 50 minutes, whether you're drinking anything or not. It's squeezing water from your organs and doing other things. So if you're a typical ambitious woman, you are pushing through and God knows, first partaker, I did it too, would Mm. go 12 hours without taking a break (laughs) because I was moving, right? Like you just do it and it feels like everything just shuts down because you are in fight mode and your your kidneys, everything is like, let's protect. She doesn't have time. Keep going. But the stress that that puts on you, the way your cortisol levels rise up, the way your adrenaline is in overdrive, it is breaking your body down. How do you think you would feel if you actually, I don't know, every two and a half hours had a 15 minute break where you could get up from whatever you're doing. You might be running around, you might be sitting down, whatever, 
and just have a moment to go to the bathroom, whether you had to empty your bladder or not, but mm. you have the time built in. What does that do for you? And mm. I actually have them envision it. So we do a lot of guided imagery work so I can mm. walk you through it. And if I can get them to see the possibility in just 15 minute increments, now we can create blocks of time where they can give themselves full permission to pause. If I go for a walk, a swim, sit and wiggle my toes and not think about work, all of a sudden these downloads have room to come in. Look at that. They, They actually can come in and be like, oh, remember that problem you had three weeks ago that kept you up for four nights and didn't allow you to enjoy anything? Here's the solution. I was always here. I was waiting to get through the noise, mm. but I couldn't. You were so productive, mm. hashtag busy, in your calendar and you had no space for me. We as women are so amazingly powerful and we have so much access to brilliance that is literally on a conscious continuum level. I know I'm going really woo-woo here for a lot of people. Love it. But we're connected on so many levels. Mm-hmm can't access it when we're too crowded and, yeah. and and literally crowded and clouded with the noise of ambition and busyness. And ambition is not bad, but we make it a mistress. We make it the thing that we're cheating with. We make it the thing that's distracting us from our family, the thing that's distracting us from actually growing the empire that we want because we get so fixated. Like neurodivergent people are have brilliant, beautiful minds. Both of my grandchildren are neurodivergent. So is my husband. They're amazing, weird, peculiar people with these Mm. brilliant brains. One of the challenges is fixation. Mm -hmm. The fixation can work in your favor when you're able to focus it for the right thing and to cut it off. Mm. Ambitious women who aren't neurodivergent, you know, in general, the typical woman that I'm talking about, we have that gift of fixation but we don't know how to turn it off. Yeah, We keep it on until we're laying in the hospital with an IV in our arm Mm. or something dramatic happens where now we're forced to take a pause, but it's not a healthy pause. It's a emergent, critical, you need a life alert bracelet after this event type of pause. And that's not okay. Mm. We're built for so many magical, beautiful things Yet we drive ourselves in the ground trying to prove, usually to other women, by the Mm. way, we're trying to prove ourselves of our worth. And we were worthy the day we came into this world. Oh my goodness. There's so much, so much magic there. And it's so true. I say all the time, like for me personally, my magic always comes in when I'm out riding my bike. And it's like, well, of course, the downloads come when there's space. The the inspiration comes, you know, inspiration means in spirit. Spirit can only speak to you when you can hear, when you've got the space to listen. And oh, I just love that you say that. I love everything you talk about. And it, I, just to switch the gears a little bit, because I know how this plays out also when we look at, you know, your background in sexology and intimacy and helping mm-hmm. relationships and power couples. I know for a lot of really, you know, ambitious women or just women in general these days who have very full lives, maybe they're balancing a career or their work or their business, their company, their relationships, they're trying to be fit and healthy and have kids and get to the school Mm -hmm. things and all of that. And sometimes all the things, (laughs) I do have a lot of women who sort of say intimacy romantically is either it's taken a back burner, I, mm-hmm. I'm afraid of it. To, and a lot of women have said, you know, I'm afraid of it. Mm-hmm. I'm ashamed of mm-hmm. that whole area yeah. of my life. There's this yeah. 
huge paradigm there that needs some conversation. So (laughs) from your perspective, let's start with romance and that sort of intimacy. And I know you've spoken about different types of intimacy. Mm -hmm. So let's start there. Uh, yeah. What are the different types of intimacy that we're talking about now with romance and, and forever lovers? Oh, yes. Forever lovers are my favorites. <laughs> um, you're, you're so in my jam right now that I'm about to geek out and try to be calm at the same time. You know, when you're excited, <laughs> you're just like, ah! um, <laughs> there's 12 different types of intimacy altogether. But for the physical sexual intimacy that yeah. most people think about, um, romantic kind of encompasses the emotional and communication intimacy as well, which are type two and three. Um, physical sexual intimacy doesn't always have to include some form of penetration, regardless Mm. of the gender of the couples, right? And a lot of people think that we haven't really done the deed if there was no type of penetration involved, which isn't true. Your Mm. physical intimacy could literally be an oxytocin-boosting hug where you just mm-hmm. held each other. It's mm-hmm. really sexy if you can look into each other's eyes, like, you know, as you're coming in and then you hold and you pull apart and you're looking at each other's eyes. Mm-hmm. It actually does something in our neural chemistry with the brain, which is a whole nother thing. That's that's an off-air me and you conversation. <laughs> yeah. But the physical intimacy that a lot of people are uncomfortable with is because of those scripts we were talking about. Whatever they were taught about sex, um, sex is bad. It's not for children. It's not for you. Don't do it. And and those conversations didn't change when they were in their twenties and in their thirties. It was now we just don't talk about it. Yeah, I know. I have grandkids now. I don't need you to tell me what you did to get them here, right? Because mm. we don't talk about sex. And a lot of families make sex bad instead of making bodies normal mm. and human and not shaming the little girl who's finally getting breasts because her body is changing. And now she's bad for wearing a type of shirt near her brother when it was just her shirt. It just fits a little different now because she has curves, but we planted these seeds that things are bad and they hold on to them when they become 20 and 25 and 30. And they should be because they're of consenting age and they have more ability to be responsible and their brains are fully developed after 25. They should be able to truly embrace their sexual desires and be positive about it. But they keep hearing, oh no, cover up. Don't do that. Don't show this. Oh no, lights off. Like, you know, we we might be able to do something, but now and I'm not sneaking behind my parents' back or whoever. So that's no fun anymore. I've done the thing. I've rebelled already. But now you as my mate actually wants me to do this and you want to enjoy me and you want to explore me. Well, I haven't explored me. Yeah. I don't know what I want. I just know what I've accepted in the mm. dark little, fast, hurry up. So no one knows, right? And a lot of those scripts that were imprinted by those consistent behaviors confirmed those conversations that we heard or were told around us, because it's not always told directly to the child, but said around them. And I absorbed them as, absorbed it as truth. Oh, you shouldn't hold his hand. You you shouldn't kiss. Kissing is nasty. It's germs, right? You, there's You should never use your tongue. Like just things that we heard, not understanding when you're of consenting age, and I can't say that enough for everyone who's listening. And I understand people are very sensitive when it comes to their kids. And I am the auntie that all the kids come to to have the sex talk because none of the mm-hmm. parents want to have it. Using age-appropriate language to help them understand bodies are normal and sex is good when you're old enough and mature enough to receive it Mm -hmm. and to give it. 
you are 15. You're not old enough. You can't deal with the consequences. I can barely get you to take a shower every day. That's how I know you're not old enough, right? Like, you know, having age level conversations. So when they're now 18, 19, 20, and clearly, I mean, if you went to college, you already know what's going down, you know, when they're at that age, right? Like now we need to have a different conversation. Do I want you to have sex just because you turned 18 or 20 or whatever? Not necessarily because you might not be mature enough, right? Like you still Mm -hmm. might have a maturity issue, but I know that you're more likely going to do it. So let's change the conversation. Mm -hmm. Now that you're 25 and you're like, hey, mom, my body's different. What is this discharge? What's going on here? No one ever told me about it. Let's talk. Let's Mm -hmm. have a conversation. So when you are in a consenting healthy relationship and you want to have that physical intimacy, you have no shame around saying, "Mm -mm, keep them lights on. Nope. You see all of this (laughs) stretch marks, cellulite, dimples, whatever. You better love it if I'm letting you near it. Right. Like, and being able to embrace it and honor your body. But that's really hard to do if you've been shaming yourself since before you could talk. So Mm. a lot of it is helping the women and the men sometimes because men have a lot of body dysphoric issues as well. And they have a lot of shame around their shape or how their bodies are changing when their testosterone is going down, which you know we know goes down tremendously after 30, like mm. all of it. And they have a lot of shame around it too. So what they'll do is point the finger to make you feel smaller yeah. so they don't have to reflect on what's happening with them because they do not want to have the medical conversations, right? Like mm. we just don't, that's for other people. That's not for me. Like, yeah. no, dude, that used to be a three hour long intimacy session. It's now a lot less than that. So let's have a conversation. But a lot of it is helping them do the communication intimacy to really open up the physical intimacy, if that answers your question. A hundred percent. And I'm, as you were talking, I was sort of thinking like, and this might be a massive generalization, but I think you'll understand what I'm saying. What I've found is that a lot of women tend to have a lot of shame and a a more difficult time with the physical intimacy. Whereas with the emotional and intellectual intimacy, it's not as difficult or shameful. Whereas the men or their, their husbands, their partners, whoever, they're getting a bit, the women come to me a little bit frustrated that they can't get to that level because the men shut down or don't know how to have those really deep conversations. So Is that something that you've observed too? And if so, how do the women listening start taking little steps to create that emotional intimacy that they really feel like they're craving? Yeah, I'd use a little clinical with meet meet you where you're at, right? Yeah. So with a lot of the power couples that I work with, which happen to typically be male and female couples, when the man is like, you know, I mean, I just, she looks so good. And I just had to have her. And she's like, dude, I just finished running around with the kids, washing the clothes, doing this, changing diapers. I'm sweaty. I'm stinky from yoga. And you want to touch me? Like, (laughs) no, right? Like, you know, women are like, why do you think this is even an appropriate time to to connect with me? Well, he's like, I'm just looking at the glistening sweat. Like I'm just turned on. (laughs) And meanwhile, she's like, if you would have helped me with the dishes and changed the diaper. I would have been all yours after the shower, of course, right? But you didn't even offer. So that made me close up and tighten because emotional emotional intimacy is the foreplay for women. And men are all about, for the most part, and I'm I'm using a huge generalization Mm. here because we know there's a large continuum, but men are typically like, my medication is sex. If I had a bad day, sex will help it. If I'm stressed, sex will help it. If I'm angry, sex will help it. Like, (laughs) 
I'm I'm good. And women are like, no, dude, if I'm angry, I need to be emotionally turned on and I can let the outlet be sex. Don't get me wrong. You know, women can be very vivacious when they're angry, but they can't be angry at you. <laughs> right. Like you yeah. can't be the focus or the reason that they are angry or upset or sad or frustrated. That's where that emotional connection being on the same wavelength with them, understanding like now's not a good time. She's cutting up tomatoes with a butcher knife. Maybe don't go up behind her and grab her waist. Like yeah. maybe not because you just pissed her off. Right. <laughs> they don't necessarily get that. So having them meet each other where they're at with uh, different little games, because I think play is pivotal. Mm. There's no other way to say that. Tapping into your imagination, raising your vibration with play is so pivotal. So we'll take small games to get women more empowered to ask for what they want. So here's a game that's an example that we, it's like a raving game. We have so many, but this one in particular is Jenga. Have you ever played Jenga? Yeah, yeah. With the wooden blocks, right? And yeah. you stack them up and balance it. So we put a little spin on Jenga and we kind of make it almost like strip tease. Jenga, yeah, the XXX rated version of it. <laughs> Love it. So I will usually send them or have them, if they're in another country, have them get the Jenga game and put it on something that's sturdy and not breakable, like a plastic tray or something. They both have to hold one end. So you're standing across from me, like right in front of me for all of you who are listening and can't see this. You're standing right across from your lover. The Jenga, you have one hand, your right hand's on it, their left hand is, is on the other side. And you're each using one hand to play Jenga the way you normally yeah. would do it. But there's a timer going on. So we're uh, let's say we got 10 minutes in. We're playing, we're building, we're doing all the things. If you happen to drop the Jenga, like you messed it up and we were playing for 10 minutes, well, now you have to give me pleasure for mm-hmm. that entire 10 minutes. The trick is you can only do what I ask you to do. You can't do anything more or anything less. So clearly we both win at the end of this game, right? Mm. So if we play for 10 minutes and you're my husband, men are usually horrible with balance games, which is why I like to, to play it <laughs> with the women. They, they typically win all the time mm. and it's good because we want them to use their voice and ask for what they want. You're my husband. You're my forever lover, my partner. You messed up. 10 minutes in, well, dude, Oh, and the whole time you're stripping, by the way. Like if anything is, you know, shaking or rocking, you're you're stripping each time that I'm winning a point. So you're probably just down to maybe boxers and socks at this Mm. point. I'm a woman. I'm powerful. I'm also, I'm crushing this game. So I probably only took off a shirt or a bottom. I'm pretty much fully dressed. For that 10 minutes that we have, the Jenga game gets put down. And now you have to do everything I said. I said, take off one sock with your tongue. I said, take off the strap of my bra with just your teeth. I said, lick me here, touch me there, suck me there. Nope, I I know you're getting excited because you feel my excitement and my body expression, but you cannot do anything that I didn't ask. And obviously, a lot of the couples don't win the game successfully with the rules because they end up going in hot and heavy (laughs) halfway through, right? Which isn't a bad thing as long as they got the practice of her asking and using her voice and him having to follow and let her lead being empowered by the reality that you have to do what she says in almost like a dom submissive way without 
the painful mm-hmm. parts of it. It's a huge turn on for the men and the women. And we do small things like that to just slowly mm-hmm. empower them based on the level that they're coming at. I mean, if they already know what to ask for and they have no problem doing it, but maybe they don't leave room for him to mm-hmm. say, we that's a, a different game we're playing. Mm-hmm. We want to do something different so that he can be more empowered to speak up and ask for what he wants. That is so interesting. And I'm wondering how many people listening would instantly feel that like, oh my goodness, asking for what I want, expressing my desires, saying what I truly would desire is scary. And yeah. so that's that whole investigation of using your voice and what's coming mm-hmm. up for you. And I guess the other part would be those women that you speak about and that we just mentioned who have all the things and all the hats that say, I don't have time for that. I don't mm-hmm. have time to do this big ass, long, long-winded Jenga game. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, where, where am I going to do that in between nappies or clients or whatever? So <laughs> what do you, what would you say to that, especially for the people who are, uh, I don't even want to use the word time poor, where mm-hmm. do we draw the line and make it a priority and how does that happen? When you signed up for this, you said you would give whatever time you needed. I'm not asking you to come to sessions for four hours a week. I'm asking you to take somewhere between 90 minutes and two hours a week to increase and amplify your intimacy. But I'm being very honest. Like Mm. if you went down, you will be knocking on the door of divorce. You will be opening up other issues and challenges, which that kind of stress that pulls you away from your high level boardroom activities because of the deficits in the bedroom. So I want to amplify intimacy from the bedroom to the boardroom because here's the reality. If I had an amazing orgasm last night Hmm. or this morning, whatever is your your treasure, um, guess who's going to be the most innovative, most creative and most energetic at my 9 a.m. meeting, right? I am fully open, aware and on because of, you know, no shade to the men, that 30 minutes that we had or whatever it was, like whatever it was, right? right. I was being, you know, nice, but whatever is going to really work, it has opened me up and made me even, I'm already dope on my own. I don't need a man, right? Even Mm. my husband that I love for 30, I don't need him. He doesn't need me, but I am so much better when I've had all that goodness. So Mm. if you want to look at it, any kind of tangible way, you increase your ROI because you've opened up your innovation, your creativity, your leadership is is heightened because your empathy has expanded, Mm. your compassion has expanded, Mm. all because you had a damn good orgasm. And guess what that took? It took a little work. It took a little time. It took a little awkward uncomfortable conversations for you to not be who you were when you were 20 some or 30 caught in the the cult of old and you expanded your perspective with those new boundaries that you embrace for yourself. Mm, That is so powerful. And so something you said that's also very powerful is, and I love this. Actually, I haven't shared this before. I haven't shared this yet, but I got engaged about two weeks ago. (laughs) Yes, to my, yeah, it's honestly like, oh, I'm still in my little love bubble. I'm with the, my best friend, my, my human really. And something that you said there, which we speak about all the time, but it kind of triggers people a little bit because they're Mm -hmm. like, what? And I say, I don't need him. I don't need Mm -hmm. him. 
but I yeah. want him. Like, and I, yes. and you say that, and I love that. So, can mm-hmm. you just really expand on that for a second? What does that mean to be in a real yeah. committed relationship like that, and to to have that belief system that this is I don't need you? Yeah, it changes the game. It shifts everything when you are empowered enough to realize that you will be perfectly more than okay, better than okay. You won't just be surviving, that you can thrive by your damn self. When you have really embraced that and not as a t-shirt or something that you say when you're with your girlfriends and y'all throwing some champagne back, you know, because somebody (laughs) just had a breakup and you're trying to help each other out. But when you really believe it, it totally changes your entire vibration and the spirit of you when you walk in the room and you've attracted that person who's ready for you because you don't need them and they don't need you. But the fact that you want each other is automatic juiciness. Mm -hmm. It's automatic relief that you don't have to be codependent Mm -hmm. on someone or you feel like you can't make moves and do well in life if you don't have their brain or or their muscle or or their anything to do it. Now, the reality is two is better than one, mm. but it doesn't mean that one can't be amazing by mm. itself, right? The number one in and of itself is a powerful number just by itself. Two just makes it juicier. That's all. Yeah. Two makes it deeper. It makes things expand greater, but you can still thrive in an exponential way, if you choose to be single and savvy until, 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 right? Like until death do you part with yourself or until the universe says there is someone that I've been shaping that is just for you, that I've been readying just for you. Your soul's half, because we are social creatures, is literally working through their stuff. They're being intentionally selfish to do their own healing work. And they won't be perfect because we aren't perfect, right? Mm. The imperfection actually is a little sexy in itself, right? Mm. Some of the the flaws that just make that person unique, but aren't damaging or toxic, right? I'm not talking about those kind of flaws, Mm. but that in and of itself, all that stuff worked out and you coming together to make this perfect sphere of unity is incredible. But guess what? You're a diamond right by yourself, right? And when you know that and you embrace it, you won't take nonsense from someone. You won't let someone make you feel like you are less than because you weren't quote unquote anything until I came in your life. Mm. Like uh, check my portfolio, boo. I was doing very well before you got here, right? Like (laughs) you want to be able to say that not just numerically from a numbers perspective, but energetically knowing that there are multiple people out there being ready. You were the one that you are the one that I chose to embrace. You are the one that I'm creating this next level with, but do not by any means get it twisted and think that if you decide for some reason that you are too good or whatever is going on with you, that the universe won't kindly move you out of the way and kindly give me a new, bigger, better gift, be very clear that I know my worth and I'm always going to be worthy of nothing short of excellence for me. You are my excellence right now and hopefully my forever lover. But if you get it in your head that I can't be amazing without you, I'll just have to remind you, I don't need you. I want you. So I like share these stories Mm. with women to remind them, do you know how dope you are? Like, let's, (laughs) you know, let's take all the 
scientific language out the way, like you are sexy, you are amazing, yeah. you are brilliant, like you are. And it's not fluffy language. It's real because I know the power of women. Yeah, We're so incredible. Men are so lucky to have us. It's crazy. But we are dope right by ourselves. I love it so much. I love it so much. I feel like I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours and I'd love to. Uh, so I'm just going to keep it. Usually I have some rapid fire questions at the end, but instead I've asked my listeners some questions that they had mm-hmm. for you. One of them was, how would I as a female increase my sex drive? Assuming that there's nothing medically, because we always rule out mm-hmm. medical issues, assuming that there's no hormonal or medical issue, I would say self-touch is really mm-hmm. important. If you can figure out what stimulates you and you don't have to go into full masturbation if you're not comfortable or maybe you have a script or a context about it, because my point isn't to make anyone feel wrong or feel, mm. feel bad about it, but just knowing what feels good will help you. So if you know that you like light touch on the surface of your skin, just your arm or your thigh or your leg, that will really help you know what to ask your partner for. Mm -hmm. There's also foods that are aphrodisiacs that can also help you get into the mood, assuming no allergies. I always have to give these disclaimers (laughs) because I'm like, Nikita told me to eat chocolate and then my, I got anaphylaxis. Like, please (laughs) do not do anything that you know will harm you. Yeah. (laughs) But there are foods that can definitely increase. Um, Cinnamon is actually something that people don't think about. Cinnamon Mm. is a low-key aphrodisiac. Add a little cinnamon to your coffee and do small things throughout the day to build up your oxytocin and work yourself into it. Start to visualize yourself being kissed, being sucked, being tickled, you know, whatever it is that Mm. you like. You don't have to see your person for the entire day. Just imagine them with you. Now, in the context that you don't have a person in your life in this particular moment, didn't we just say you are dope right by yourself? Like there are so many things that you can do, but your imagination is a gift and being able to visualize yourself being pleased and pleasured, whether you physically touch yourself or not is a huge first step in the right direction. And adding in those things that make the difference, the scents, the smells, essential oils, aphrodisiac foods. A lot of people talk about oysters, but there's a lot of people with texture Mm. um, sensitivities and sensory issues. So you may not know you have that until you force yourself to do it. So start small. Start with, you know, some cinnamon spray or essential oil or something in the room, some frankincense and myrrh. Do really small things to build yourself up into what feels erotic for you. Because that's the other script that we have. The the thing that I find erotic with chocolate and strawberries and cream, you might be completely disgusted by. Mm. So it's really just knowing what you want to play with in small doses to make your cocktail of aphrodisiac sensory experiences and just incorporate all five senses is the best thing that I could say. Mm, I love the answer to that. It's so amazing. And then the other question was what to do or the best sort of advice you could give when there's a real mismatch in sex drive in a relationship. Mm, as in one partner doesn't know what they're doing or well, one a mismatch in how often they want it, I think was the question. Oh, for like the libido mismatch. Mm. That one is a lot harder. And mm. the reason I say that in the full context is because in my clinical hat and knowing what I know about trauma, yeah. there could be, your person could have been a rabbit when you first met and you guys were, you know, everywhere all the time. So you're like, something's wrong. Something's changed. 
a lot of people in their trauma responses have disassociated and detached. Mm. And then with time, with experience, with more challenges in life, they start to reattach to the trauma, even without knowing exactly Mm. what happened. And they start to almost, and the best way I can say it is become cold. Mm. And the coldness isn't directed towards you. It's because of what's going on with them. So I'm always careful Mm. not to skip over the reality that that's, Assuming again, it's no medical issue, like a a libido drop because of low estrogen or or any Mm. of that. It can be really challenging to just assume that it's a personal affront that, oh, he doesn't love me anymore. She just, she's not into me anymore because we don't have sex anymore. Have a conversation. Mm. They, you have to be patient with the reality that they may not have known this about themselves because Mm. you've both allowed this to be normal. Mm. You've allowed this new normal to be present so they don't think anything is wrong. And now you're brave enough and bold enough to address it, which we honor you for hands down, but you've made that choice to be bold and brave. They're not quite there. So start with a conversation with like, hey, babe, I really miss us being together physically and and be specific. I miss your kisses on my neck. I miss when you would touch my arm and you would stroke me or you would come behind my back and pull me in and close and slip my panties off. Like I miss those mm. things that used to do in the middle of the night that I know now that I'm older and have a really productive schedule. I'm like, dude, leave me alone. <laughs> but I really do miss that, right? Yeah. Like when I'm not super tired. And I noticed that you haven't been doing it in a while. Do you know like what's going on? Is there something different? Give them an opportunity to share with you because maybe they haven't slowed down, permission Mm. to slow down, to really realize like, God, it has been years since I've done that. I don't know Mm. where the, once the kids came, once the new job came, once I started traveling, you know, once you had that surgery, I just never, we kind of fell out of place. For some people, it's really an unintentional organic lapse that occurred because of time. Yeah. And it's that, again, it's that intellectual or emotional intimacy that will help you with the physical intimacy, I suppose. So I love it. And yeah, I think the the only other question that I was getting, it was lots of different ways of saying it, but essentially the question was, any quick tips for like how to spice things up again? And I think you've probably mentioned a few, but spicing things up when things have gotten a bit stale, stagnant, you've gotten a little bit, you know, overrun by life, um, Mm -hmm. just to spice things back up. What would be your top tips? Assuming that you can't travel anywhere and there's a lot of restrictions on your time, start with a shower. Mm. Get in the shower together. First of all, water is very sexy and it does a lot of things. Now, I work with a lot of couples from celebrity couples to engineers all the way through. And I have engineer couples that are like six minutes of water pressure. That's it because we want to protect the environment. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, sometimes we can get really logical, you know, head versus heart. And even with that, I'm like, you know, there's 8,000 nerves in that clitoris. He don't need six minutes. So get in the shower. (laughs) If he's doing it right all you need is 30 seconds, right? (laughs) To get what you need out of it. And then we can save the environment and turn the faucet back (laughs) off, right? Oh my goodness, Nikita. I I knew it when I first came across you. I love your brain. I love your soul. I love your heart. Everything about you is just... Thank you. It's honestly very, very inspiring the way you speak, the way you learn. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for sharing your magic with the world. Uh, For the listeners who have loved this as much as I have... Where can they find you and connect with you? 
Yeah, I would say follow the Balance Bully podcast, uh, which she doesn't know she's going to be on. So I'm just throwing that out there. Um, but the <laughs> Balance Bully podcast, we're everywhere. And if you want to go deeper and have a conversation, just go to thigpro.com. There's a little calendar button on there. And either myself or one of our CSAs will have an alignment. We call it a joy activation call with you to see if it makes sense to potentially work together. Oh, so good guys. Go and have a look. And the podcast is amazing. I've loved this conversation. Thank you so much for being here. It is 10 PM where you are. So please go and have a nice shower and unwind and relax. Thank you so much for your time. I'm so honored by you. Thank you.